Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everybody. Uh, we got a great one today. You know, for a change. On the Supreme Court. You know, for a change. More specifically on the pernicious role of the Federalist Society. You know, for a change, with the focus on a book about Brett Kavanaugh. For a change, written by Jackie Combs, the Los Angeles Times White House correspondent for the first time. Jackie's book, Dissent, does the work that the Judiciary Committee and the FBI were supposed to do, looking at Brett Kavanaugh's personal history. Uh, The FBI was supposed to lead an investigation on Kavanaugh and the accusations against him. It turns out, of course, uh, the tips from the tip line they set up went right to Don McGahn, Trump's White House counsel, and then into his wastebasket. Combs does the work the FBI was supposed to do, doing extensive interviews with those who contacted the FBI, including Kavanaugh's undergraduate classmates at Yale and law school classmates there. And what emerges is uh, not a pretty picture. You will recall his response to Amy Klobuchar's question, have you ever had so much to drink that you've blacked out? No, have you? If you suspected that the no, have you was a tell (laughs) uh, that he uh, actually had routine routinely drunk so much that he passed out and that had been witnessed by countless friends and classmates and doormates and folks who uh, witnessed this behavior after he had started his career. Well, then your suspicions are confirmed by Jackie Combs, who had felt the need to do the work that the FBI had failed to do. All this as we are now into the Supreme Court's new term uh, with the court on the defensive, Justice Amy Coney Barrett feeling the need to deny that the 6-3 Supreme Court is driven by partisan bias. Uh, This at the McConnell Center, speech she gave at the McConnell Center at the University of Louisville, with Mitch McConnell sitting not five feet away. She's not stupid, and McConnell's not stupid. To me, it was a way of taunting us. The subtext, see, I'm standing here at the McConnell Center, named for the guy sitting just three feet from me to the left of the podium here, just to remind you that this 6-3 court is the most political Supreme Court in history, because I wouldn't be here if this guy hadn't blocked Merrick Garland, in the most nakedly partisan political act in the history of the court. Remember, he said we can't take up a Supreme Court nominee in a presidential election year, even though we had previously done so. But you see, there have been a few votes cast in the New Hampshire primary. So the election year had begun. Oh, wait, I 
Amy Coney Barrett was seated nine days before the 2020 presidential election. So now, as a piece of performance art, you'll please bring out the effigy of Merrick Garland. There, there. Now I'm going to dance the hully gully on the effigy's windpipe. Boom. I mean, just a few weeks ago, this court, this transparently, nakedly political court, chose to prevent women in Texas from getting an abortion just six weeks after conception, completely overturning Roe v. Wade in that state. And now this court, this transparently partisan Supreme Court, has decided to take up cases they didn't have to take up. So they can overturn Roe and expand gun rights so that anybody you meet on the street could be carrying. Respect for the court is at an all-time low, at least lower than it's been since they started polling. As far as I'm concerned, they stole two seats, the one Garland should be holding and the one that Coney Barrett holds now. You do take up a SCOTUS nominee nine months before a presidential election. You do not seat a new justice nine days before a presidential election. And Kavanaugh, as my guest, Los Angeles Times White House correspondent Jackie Combs, will make it very clear not only did Brett Kavanaugh lie during his hearings, the Trump White House counsel covered up those lies. That's a fine howdy-do, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I'm taping this in Minneapolis on Wednesday and heading off to Dallas and Atlanta on my tour. Stuff may very well happen uh, by the time this thing, this thing's air. I hope you can uh, join me on the tour. I'll be in Pittsburgh on October 23rd and then in Albany. Go to alfranken.com to check out the tour dates. Well, not much else happening. Oh, the debt ceiling and uh, build back better. Yikes! We'll be right back with Jackie Combs. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that, means, that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. 
And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Thanks for joining us. I listen to your podcast all the time. You do? Good for you. What do you like? Which Who do you like? <laughs> <laughs> when you had Adam Serwer, I enjoyed that talk. Okay. Well, good. That's uh, He was great. Yeah, he was mm-hmm. brilliant. Your book, Descent, is is really about the federal courts being packed by uh, the Federalist Society, and a, a number of things have led to this. Let, let's talk about the Federalist Society. We have talked about mm-hmm. this on on the podcast, and basically, yeah. it was started in the eighties, right? Early eighties at Yale, April of nineteen eighty two. At Yale. With people from the University of Chicago Law School. And what what they've been is they've sort of enforced a discipline where if you're not a hundred percenter, if you don't agree with every bit of their doctrine and you don't decide the way they want you to decide, if you don't regurgitate, if you're not anti Roe v. Wade, Mm -hmm. you don't get anywhere. So you don't get a good clerkship at a law school. You join this presumably in law school. Then right. they track you. And right. so if you deviate at all from their orthodoxy, then nope, you don't get a good clerkship. So the only way to be on this path to clerking with a Supreme Court justice or a circuit court judge or right. district court judge is to stick is let it be known that you're a hundred percent federal society and and you're you're sticking with them, and that continues all the way through to the Supreme Court. Right from the lowest court to the top, it's just sort of a ladder that you climb, in effect. And and in my book, the the development this past almost forty years of the Federalist Society is um, an overlay on top of the general evolution or radicalization of the Republican Party more broadly, the conservative takeover, the right-wing takeover of the party as well as the courts. And what really weaponized this, really weaponized this, was Trump saying, I'm only going to pick Supreme Court justices who are on a list provided by the Federal Society and the Heritage Foundation. Exactly. And no one had done anything like that before. George W. Bush, in effect, took his nominees from Federalist Society ranks because the Federalist Society itself, I don't think, is all, is all that nefarious. It's just the way it's been used. It became more successful than its founders ever imagined. It was supposed to be a law school um, sort of club because they felt so out of it in most law schools that were more liberal than conservative. But what happened is as people graduated law school and went all over the country to law firms, they decided to form their clubs in the cities. And then this just gravitated into a way for conservatives to get and and, uh, Republican presidents, Republican senators in the states to identify people who were bona fide conservatives. And also law firms, a prestigious law firm Exactly. If you're uh, if you're a member of the Federal Society, that's another place you can go. You don't have to get a clerkship, or maybe you can, no, you get the clerkship. Absolutely. And then after your clerkship, you go to Wilmer and Hale or yeah. one of those friggin' places, and right. and you represent some 
big corporation and you make a lot of money. And then at the right time, uh, if you're ambitious in that way, you get to be a judge and uh, you're on your way. And then you become Gorsuch or, uh, or Kavanaugh or Coney Barrett. Right. And, you know, and if you're like, let's just take Brett Kavanaugh, because why not? Uh, he <laughs> take take Judge Kavanaugh, which is Ooh. what your book focuses on, basically, and takes us through his life and then through the confirmation process. And of course, what we're learning more and more is the scandalous failure to look into Dr. Ford's allegations, not just hers, but others as well. Yeah, right? even more. Okay. Debbie Ramirez. Ramirez. Uh, but also, but Dr. Ford's as well. And yeah. I, I want to end up uh, at the confirmation hearing yeah. at, at one point and the questioning, that last dramatic hearing and the questioning, which I was on a Judiciary Committee, and I don't think that my former colleagues who are still on the committee, many, some of whom I respect, <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, that uh, they, I don't know, they know how to ask questions. And if they, and yeah. part of the things that I talk to some of my former colleagues and I say, listen, do me a favor, listen, because they give you shit. Yes. And uh, I just want to go over some of the questioning in that uh, that final hearing where he shows up and he lies, yeah. outright lies a number of times. Right. And he lied during the earlier parts of the hearing. And about things that had nothing to do with the sexual assault allegations. Oh, yeah, about, uh, you know, what he did when he was White House counsel. Right. And uh, kind of supervising the W uh, operation in terms of confirming judges and lying about getting right. documents that were stolen from the Democrats on the committee. Right. Uh, a lot of lying. A lot of lying. And about big things as well as small. So it's like you have to ask yourself, there were so many things. Why lie about that? You know, why lie about the work you did on a particular federal judicial nominee? Because he had of- lied about it earlier. That's why. I mean, in other words, he had, <laughs> he, had had, he had to go through previous confirmation hearings where he had lied. Yes, did you know that uh, once you do deceive, you what a tangled web you weave? Like my mother said to me, you know, if you lie, it's a problem because you, if you don't remember your lie, then you might not tell it the second time. That's um, why I have a an app called the Detangler. <laughs> yeah. And I put in every lie I tell, and it keeps track of them, you see. That's a good thing to have. You'll have to, when we're off air, you'll have to tell I'm me. I'm selling. We sell it on the, on the podcast. Okay. The detangler. One thing I kept before before you get to the hearing on Kavanaugh, I was going to mention that he's, um, you know, he joined the Federalist Society as a freshman at Yale's Law School. So he was at the founding campus of the Federalist Society and just a couple years after it had been founded there. And at that point, and for some years afterwards, it was sort of a stigma in the broader world to be a member of the Federalist Society because it really sort of marked you as a right winger. But for a Republican president, the fact that you would agree to join a club despite the stigma, that was a big feather in your cap. Oh, that was sounds like him taking a little bit of a risk, which that doesn't sound a lot like him. But, I mean, he grew up in this old boy network, right? Right. That must have been a calculated uh, decision that he made. Right. Well, you have to think so. He grew up within the Unless he was network. really drunk when he made it. <laughs> 
He liked beer. <laughs> he liked beer. I suspect that he liked beer too much. He definitely did, as literally dozens of his former classmates and some former friends told me in interviews from Yale. We'll get into the the shoddy, deliberately shoddy investigation of him that, uh, you know, Susan Collins and Jeff Flake said, oh, we're not going to vote for him unless you do a shoddy investigation. <laughs> right, right. And then we'll vote for him. But it's got to be shoddy. Yeah. And Mitch McConnell gave them that shoddy investigation for their political cover. Oh, we'll, we'll give you an investigation. Sure. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be very thorough. Don't you worry. Don McGann will be in charge of it. <laughs> so you know that it's going to be a very thorough investigation. I can just see the turtle. Yep. And you kind of document this uh, in, in your book. And your ears must have tingled when when we heard that the tip line went directly to Don McGahn. Let me clarify that. What the FBI tip line was, was a tip line that people could call into to help the FBI with this investigation. And presumably those tips would be investigated by the FBI. But instead, they passed the tips on to who? The White House Counsel's Office, which was then headed <laughs> by Don McGahn, and they've never been heard from again. You know what? Everyone seems to be like, oh, well, that's what they did. Oh, that was smart, I guess. Right. I think there's something really wrong with that. Right. But when you have a justice who by then is confirmed to a lifetime seat on the bench, even the most um, energetic opponents of Kavanaugh just sort of throw up their hands, you know, and they've got, they move on to the next fight, you know, and Amy Coney Barrett comes along or some, some other issue that some outrage of Trump's at the time. And we know yeah. how she is on, on this issue that we're talking oh, yeah. about today on abortion, because she signed on to a letter basically saying life begins at conception. And that's why, and she says in this, or an ad, right? It was an ad in a newspaper. A whole page ad in her local newspaper um, in Fort Bend, Indiana, where she was teaching at Notre Dame. And uh, she signed on with others in a local anti-abortion group, calling it, you know, virtually um, a Holocaust since uh, Roe versus Wade. And that group actually said that we think that doctors who do in vitro fertilization should be subject to prosecution because in vitro fertilization, by definition, you create a number of embryos, right? A number of fertilized eggs right. that you freeze. Right. See, this is a question I wanted to ask her. Judge Coney Barrett, uh, you're in, in South Bend and you're walking by a building and it's on fire. And you live in South Bend, so you know there's only two things in this building, a nursery school and an in vitro fertilization clinic. And there's 10,000 human beings frozen in that in vitro fertilization clinic. And the building is on fire. Now you go in, you know, because all the other children have been ushered out. The teachers are asphyxiated. They say there's one child left in the nursery school and she's in a wheelchair. Now you can either save that child in the wheelchair or. Or the 10,000 souls frozen in the in vitro fertilization clinic. 
Which would you choose to save? The child in the wheelchair or the 10,000 souls? Who would you rescue and why? Could you explain that? I wish you had been on the committee to ask that question. I do too. Now, one question she was asked, I want to ask you about this. This one was amazing. Amy Klobuchar asked this. She said, uh, is voter intimidation illegal? Oh, yeah. And Coney Barrett goes, I don't know. (laughs) Now, everyone knows that's illegal, but I think her thinking was, wait a minute, okay, voter intimidation is kind of our plan. (laughs) What do I say? I mean, if I say it's illegal... And there's a lot of voter intimidation. It's proven. I'm going to say I don't know. And and I'm on the. If I was on the committee, I'd go like, you know what? I did not go to law school. I played a lawyer in a sketch. But somehow, I know that voter intimidation is illegal. So I'm sorry that Amy asked you a really hard question. So I'm going to ask you just an easier one. Um, Grand Theft Auto, is that illegal? (laughs) Judge Coney Barrett, is that illegal? Because you taught law at Notre Dame, and you don't know that voter intimidation is illegal? Grand Theft Auto, is that illegal? Oh, that's a tough one, she'd say. (laughs) I don't know. must have driven you crazy in the Senate. The questioning of senators is so subpar to say the least. It was really frustrating at this point. And again, I'll, I'll talk to you uh, later in this. Uh, let's talk about Kavanaugh because there's a big kind of lead up to it. And in the mm-hmm. book, it's very interesting and it's very damning of the guy. Yeah. I mean, extremely. Yeah, I mean, he's just clearly uh, was a, um, a horrible drunk. Uh, and a horrible blackout drunk. He denied both of those things and um, multiple. And that's when this tip line was created that was uh, among the people who called in were a number of his former classmates, people who at the time were friends of his who were calling in to say he lied. He lied in his hearing about his drinking and his being blackout drunk. And he lied in his Fox News interview. And the Fox News interview, in effect, was on the, the famous one of he and his wife because they went on and he agreed in his hearing to make that Fox News interview part of the record, which in effect meant that he was under oath. And he he lied about it. When you have to ask yourself, if he'll lie about things like that, why could you remember George W. Bush when he ran for president in 2000? He would just dismiss questions about his uh, when I was young and irresponsible, yeah. I was young yeah. and irresponsible. And so why couldn't Brett Kavanaugh have done something like that? Well, he could have. He could have said when I was a blackout drunk in college right. and in law school and then uh, afterwards. But now I'm not. I'm not a blackout drunk anymore, Senator right. Klobuchar. <laughs> and take my word for it. And well, yeah, I mean, uh, I think you might think I'm being honest if i acknowledge what is true previously Mm -hmm. so there you go and i probably he's probably not a blackout drunk anymore okay so um let's keep going let's go back let's go back a little bit so he's in the old boy network right he he Mm -hmm. went to george was it georgetown prep is that where he went no georgetown prep the private school just outside of washington here 
which has. Oh, man, do those guys sound like dicks. Yeah. Well, and you know, wow. it's an all boys Catholic school. And I can say this I went to a Catholic school. I went for 12 years, but my high school was Catholic and it was co ed. So boys and girls. And we had several all boys Catholic schools in my hometown. And if we had a party, it was like bar the door against the guys coming from the all boys schools because they were like, they had one thing in mind. And it just was like, you know, we were great friends, us girls at the high school with the guys in our high school. And I think a big part of that was we went to school all week together. We were genuine friends. And on Monday, if any of them did anything nasty on Monday, you know, they had to face us in the corridors. And in an all boys school, my experience with them, and it sounds like Brett Kavanaugh's, is, you know, they go to school on Monday and instead of, you know, having to uh, face up to anything they did wrong over the weekend. They boast, they get next to their lockers and they, they brag about it. Yeah. Locker room chatter. Exactly. Isn't that what, uh, Trump, uh, that was exactly excuse, just like right? Trump did. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Kavanaugh, uh, gets into a law firm. I mean, th there's the stories in your book about people saying that he kind of was doing this behavior very much so in law school. And that's Ramirez, right? She's mm -hmm. testifying. No, she was that. in his undergraduate Yale years. So yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And in addition to Debbie Ramirez, who is very credible, I found in meeting with her and talking to her multiple times, they really kept a lid on her story. You know, Christine Ford famously had her hearing where she testified for hours and was so credible that Trump said as much and uh, found her he called her both compelling and credible but then made ruthless fun of her you no know, that was before he called her a liar but then the republicans and don mcgann the white house counsel made sure that debbie ramirez didn't get a similar hearing because she would have been every bit as uh credible and sympathetic if not more so uh, the FBI talked to her, but the FBI didn't talk to any of the people whose names she gave them as potential corroborating witnesses. And there's a third person who was a second woman at Yale in that same freshman year at Yale, who we have an eyewitness who was sober on this night when he saw Brett Kavanaugh, whom he knew, and a couple guys in a what he describes and Kavanaugh denies as a sexual assault of another terribly drunk young woman. Was this the Avenatti client? No, no. This is a completely credible client, but she she wasn't anyone's client because she was she has said she has no memory of this. And her friends from Yale, who are still her friends, have told me they believe it and there were stories about it at the time but that she was so drunk, she was literally dragged, according to this eyewitness account, literally dragged towards Kavanaugh, who was exposing himself and forced to touch his penis. There, I've said it. Okay, well, uh, but, and and were there eyewitnesses testifying to that in this? No, or? no. so this was okay, a man, well, different. This was a man different. who did not want to be on the record. And you probably know him. He's well-known in Washington. He heads up a nonpartisan group and has for over 20 years. And, uh, I mean, I name him in the book. I'm happy. To, I don't have anything against naming him now, but he is, he wanted to be off the record. He approached the FBI. Oh, this is a classmate. 
Is that, he, that right? He's a class, he went to yeah, Yale. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. was he was a neighbor in the dorm of Brett Kavanaugh. Knew him well. Did not socialize with him because he wasn't one of the, you know, a hard drinking in, in the hard drinking circle of jocks. And uh, so this this man wanted to let the senators know. You know how it works on the Senate Judiciary Committee. He thought that if he let them know what he knew without going public, that they would quietly put the kibosh, get word to the Trump White I House. I see. And did he do this prior to the hearings, or did he do he it did at it the point? He did it late in September after he saw Kavanaugh's appearance on Fox News with his wife being interviewed on Fox News and denying that he you know, drank excessively or had ever assaulted any woman. And he was decided at that point if he could get word to senators and or the FBI before the confirmation vote, because now it was once Christine Ford's allegation had already come out. I I, I think I want to get into uh, the hearings with Ford um, because I was appalled watching that at Mm -hmm. our questioning because in his opening statement, For example, he said that the allegations against him had been refuted, and you bring this up, it had been refuted by the four, the only four people that that she named had been at the party, uh, that she named that didn't remember the party. And one of them, of course, was Mark Judge, who... Dr. Ford had identified as the guy with him at the party who In had the assaulted room assaulting her. Yeah. Assaulting her. So, but he says they refuted the allegations on, on, on the basis of what? The fact that he repeatedly under oath said that the people Christine Ford named had refuted her account is just a mystifying lie. Now that that I heard that during his testimony, his opening remarks, mm-hmm. and I went, "Wait a minute! All I understand is that they said they didn't remember being at the party." Right. The point is that none of the four refuted her account, and he, as you say, any county judge would know that what refute means. Right, and 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 my my point is is that Maisie Hirono was a prosecutor, right? Right. I mean, Amy Klobuchar was a prosecutor. Now, Amy asked this question, which is, "Have you ever gotten so drunk that you didn't remember what you did?" And he said, "No, of you, right. right?" Yes. And she was taken aback and handled herself well, I thought. But after that. After that, you had Coons, you had Blumenthal, you had Hirono, you had Booker, you had Harris. Kamala Harris, right? No one said, you yelled at a senator when she asked you if you had ever blacked out twice. Mm-hmm. She asked it a second time. Mm-hmm. Now, that tells me, and I think it told everyone in that room, and everyone watching on TV, that you're very defensive about your drinking. And you're very defensive about this issue. 
And so I'm going to ask you again, did you ever drink so much that you blacked out? And he'll say no again, I guess. Yeah. And then you want to say, um, okay, let me ask you, the one of the witnesses that you said refuted the allegations of Dr. Ford's is Mark Judge. He wrote a book about being a blackout drunk in high school. Right. Right? What was the name of that book? Wasted. Confessions of a Teenage Blackout Drunk or something like that, right? Yeah, I think so. And it had a, it had a character named Bart O'Kavanaugh. Right, and I would have said Judge Kavanaugh. In the book, there is a blackout drunk who pukes in a car and then passes out. His name is Bart O'Kavanaugh. Now, my question, Judge Kavanaugh, is do you remember Bart O'Kavanaugh? Was he a classmate of yours? Was Bart O'Kavanaugh a classmate of yours, Judge Kavanaugh? I mean... <laughs> he was. I think it was uh, Sheldon Whitehouse, who's a Democratic you know, senator. From yeah, Rhode I know Island, Sheldon. He's great. Who's also a prosecutor. He brought that up. He brought a number of those things up, and he... He brought up the yearbook terms. Right, but he also brought up at one point, or maybe it was Pat Leahy, but one of those two brought up. It was Leahy um, brought it up. The Bardo Kavanaugh, and he would talk about Mark Judge, and he would he would throw it back on the Democratic senators by saying, you know, that Mark Judge had had all this trouble subsequently through the years with alcoholism, and that they were yeah picking on about alcoholism. He was your friend in high school, (laughs) and he wrote in a book about being friend of a guy named Bardo Kavanaugh, who blacked out. As I write in the book, there's no, I I started covering Congress in 1984 and did so into the late 90s when I started covering White House. You're almost as old as me. I I could be older, but let's move on. So I just, I I was there when Robert Bork's confirmation hearings, I was there at the, sitting at the table in the hearing room for Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill. Uh, and I cannot imagine any other past period in in history, let alone the per- the previous decades I had covered myself, in which a candidate like Brett Kavanaugh would have been confirmed. His confirmation vote was the closest since 1881, but the fact that it he got confirmed is amazing to me. It's like Christine Blasey Ford said to me: she wasn't looking to get rid, you know, she knew the president was Donald Trump and any nominee of his was going to be a conservative justice. But why did it have to be Bart, Bart O'Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh? (laughs) So, uh, you know, that's the point. But we, our politics have become so tribal, especially on the Republican side, that it's not possible. But why, why would Collins, I mean... And she did a, how long was her speech on the floor? 45 minutes. And some convoluted thing where at the end, it's uh, something about uh, the presumption of innocence. Yes. Yes. Jesus. Susan. Unlike Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, the one Republican who um, opposed Kavanaugh, 
Lisa Murkowski made it all about Kavanaugh's behavior in that hearing, that September 27th hearing, and his partisan, angry diatribe, which so many people, including former Justice John Paul Stevens, uh, had said should have been disqualifying, and it should have been. But instead, in given our in our politics, it saved him. It it had all the Republicans rally around him as a victim. And Lindsay's performance, uh, which was this tirade, mm-hmm. the proper response to that was would have been sarcastic clapping. Right. right. This. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you mentioned Susan Collins' speech on the floor. Mitch McConnell said it was the best speech he'd ever heard in his entire Senate career. You knew from the minute she started that she was going to announce that she was voting for him. And when she started talking about the sexual assault parts, she started with the woman, the Avenatti client, who was the least credible. Sure. And because it was just politics. I mean, she was playing the Republicans playbook. And then she talked about Christine Ford and she did the Republican strategy of saying, well, I believe she was assaulted, but I just don't believe Brett Kavanaugh was the assailant. And then she never even mentioned Debbie Ramirez. And she also knew about this unnamed woman who was allegedly assaulted by a drunk Kavanaugh the same year. Now she knew about those and she didn't even mention them you know, this is a woman who holds herself out as a an advocate for women's rights and for women in general. Well, I remember when she had the conversation with Kavanaugh, she said uh, that the uh, Roe v. Wade had stare decisis, right? Right. Respect for precedent. Yeah. And of course, no. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's a lie to her. Yeah. Twitter and social media are full of uh, mockery of Susan Collins today, given the Supreme Court has shown yet again just how little respect it has for its own precedence uh, when it comes to Roe versus Wade, which is Susan Collins' chief concern. Her chief concern is Susan Collins. And at that point, it was getting reelected. Yeah. And being a member of that party, uh, which has become you know, this crazy party. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. It's a, the, party party. Has, the party is off the rails, and it's bad for our politics that we don't have a, two, a healthy two-party system. And nothing has infuriated me for years like this whataboutism or the both-sides-ism that suggests that for everything bad that Republicans do, Democrats do the same thing, only different. And it's just not been well, true. I have reason to be... Angry at my Democratic colleagues. No one does more than me, but I'm a Democrat. And I'm a Democrat for a lot of reasons. And one of them is that, you know, we believe in giving people opportunity. You know, we believe that, you know, my wife's family, uh, my mother in law was widowed at age 29 with five kids, age seven to three months. And it was policies like, you know, Social Security survivor benefits, Defense Department loans for education, Pell Grants, <laughs> you know, all these programs that Democrats 
put in that that's why I'm a Democrat. Mm-hmm. And and everyone, you know, they I say this a lot. They tell you in this country to pull yourself up by the bootstraps, but first you have to have the boots. And the Democratic Party gave my wife's family the boots. Right. Well, and you're describing, you know, my background. I was the oldest of five, uh, and my mother was 32 when my dad died a week before the fifth baby was born. There it is. It's the damn same thing. And But for the fact of of Social Security survivor benefits, veterans benefits, and civil service benefits, my mother would have had to find a way to go to work to raise five uh, children. My mother-in-law did go to work, but only when the youngest finally was able to go to right. and Catholic nursery school. Yeah. So yeah. there, there's yeah. a, there's a shout out for the Catholics. So, uh, you know, for my own party, I chose not to be a partisan to choose a party, but what so I, you're a journalist, I, I, a journalist and I, and you know, now I'm a columnist so I can express an opinion, but what I would say, what I've said to people in the past when they said, Oh, all reporters are Democrats at heart. And I, and, I think what I've always seen, if there's a bias, it's that most of the reporters who cover government and politics want government to work. And it's increasingly been the Democratic Party that stands for government working, while Republicans are just by definition an anti-government party now. I think that a lot of journalists suffer from false equivalence disease. Absolutely. You know... Um, some say this world is round like this cantaloupe. Others say it's round like this plate. Right. <laughs> you know, we're, we're just, uh, that's, that's what we're reporting here. Yeah. I, I it, it's, uh, I think a lot of journalists are, are, you know, let, let their careers get in the way of their, um, their reporting, but that's me. Well, I'm not I, accusing you of that, for God's sakes. <laughs> That's why you're on. I don't have those journalists. Once on. Newt Gingrich came on the scene, things changed enough. It was a whole different. It was about, um, you know, destroying people. Yeah, and and government. You know, there was no interest in making government work. It was in full time campaign mode. Yep. The amazing thing is now you have these tribal. Uh, Republicans or conservatives who get plenty of government help, but still are anti-government. You know, it reminds you know, like back in the Tea Party days, where you'd have the Tea Party people converging on the Capitol to protest, carrying signs, "Keep your hands off my Medicare." Some of them carried a sign saying, "I'm not very bright." <laughs> Wear the T-shirts. I'm with stupid. Okay, we're going to be right back with Jackie Combs, author of Descent. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. 
So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. So um, what's the what's the path forward on abortion rights? That doesn't look pretty, does it? I mean, if the no, it doesn't at all. And um, you know, people have been too complacent for too long. And you know, I was raised Catholic, like I say, so I'm respectful of those who, for religious reasons, oppose abortion. The question is whether, and what most of the Catholics in my family have come around to, the question is whether government should be telling you what to do. And that's where my family has generally parted ways um, with the anti-abortion crowd. And there are just so many horror stories. I'm old enough to remember, barely, but my girlfriend's older sisters, we grew up in Ohio, older sisters who would um, drive all night to New York City. You know, New York City is a pretty scary place when you're coming from Toledo, Ohio, and you, you know, they go there. Pretty scary place when you're coming from Connecticut. Yeah, yes. And so, you know, we're essentially for years have been in a sort of uh, wasteland for abortion rights through most of the country. You and I both lived through how fast gay rights, uh, relatively speaking, as a, it's just astounded everyone how fast we went from a sort of um, homophobic culture and and legal structure to one that found marriage between same-sex people is constitutional. And I think what happened is that gay people came out and, and then conservative, you know, homophobes found, oh, my son or my daughter or my brother are gay. And, and I think yeah, people really- this person I really, really like. Yes. And I've often thought that, you know, there's one quarter of women- up to age 45, have had an abortion. And so if 25% of, Amer- of, of women have had an abortion, and then you have all the people they've told, whether friends, family, the person who gave them a ride, who helped them pay for the abortion, that's a lot of Americans. And But nobody wants to talk about it. So if everyone who'd had an abortion or supported an abortion rose up in the same way that you know gay men and women did, I think the politics would change. What was the name of the Surgeon General? The guy looked like a Quaker. Oh, um, bearded man. Say, uh, yeah. And then in the in when we re-record this, I'll just go, uh, remember when <laughs> Dr. <laughs> and then I'll say his name. C. Everett Coop. Mm-hmm. He basically said they did a study and on women who had abortions and like a large majority said it was a, it was a a good decision mm-hmm. because it gives you control of your life. I mean, look, I, it's a sincerely held belief, you yes. know, by people that, that, uh, and I understand that. And you know, I agree with you. And that's what I said about knowing a lot of people for whom it's, it's a sincerely held. And in many cases, religious belief, what I cannot abide are the number of male politicians for whom it is nothing but cynical politics. Well, everything in politics is cynical to them. I mean, pretty much. I try not to be cynical, but it's it's increasingly hard. Look, I talked to a, a number of my former Republican colleagues who know the election wasn't stolen, but won't say so. Yeah. Because they won't win their next election. Right. 
And you know what? If, if you care about our democracy, if you care about our country, you say the election wasn't stolen. You say that because this right. is poison. And we saw it on January 6th, but we're still seeing it. We'll see its impact in 2022 and 2024. You know, I had Michael Wolf on who wrote the book Landslide, and it's a really good book. Mm-hmm. But he basically said if we hadn't impeached him, he, that th- that gave him life. He's, He's the he guy thought the impeachment gave him life. That gave it, Trump, Trump life. Yeah, to add to his victimization. Because it's well, yes, and the thing he is good at is any kind of attention, positive, negative, especially this kind of thing. He uses to his advantage. It's a talent of his. Yeah, you know, and we gave him that. He carries it into history, and I would. Never. I mean, I think, what if we hadn't impeached him? What if we had, in effect, said, it's okay to incite an insurrection and not accept your defeat? Or it's okay to um, extort a foreign leader to find dirt on your life? Well, that one we should have done. I'm just saying this one, okay, he's got 10 days left. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Um, you know what? We don't have to impeach you because if we impeach you, then you'll get to go out in a dramatic oh, way. Yeah. If we impeach him, okay, there, one, you think Mitch McConnell and those people are going right. to convict? It's interesting you argue that because I hear just I hear a lot of people say the opposite, that they think the Democrats should not have impeached him for the Ukraine shenanigans, but, but for the insurrection, yes. So it's the... The opposite of what you're saying. Well, the Ukraine shenanigans, were, 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 he was still president. I mean, he was going to be president for a while. And yeah. also, it was in, what he did was shake down right. a foreign I leader. I, I agree. <laughs> and, no, that was really impeachable. This was impeachable, too. But I just, it was kind of like, uh, Okay, he's going to be out the door, and uh, we know what this was, and we're going to investigate it. We're going to all investigate yeah. it, okay, guys? And I think that if they had agreed to all investigate it right away, then you wouldn't, you know, I think a lot of Republicans would have been on Lynn Cheney's side. Right, right. The impeachment divided the country and gave people who, in the immediate aftermath of January 6th, people like McCarthy, who would say, like, this was pretty awful, this was awful, mm-hmm. and um, we can't ha- let this happen. And now they're, you know, I think the recent developments are, uh, you know, Schiff is leading the investigation, right, for that committee, mm-hmm. and uh, is insisting on, like, getting the phone records of, like, you know, how many times did Jim Jordan right. <laughs> talk to the president on the 6th, and who yeah. talked to him, and it's like a lot of them. And who was involved? And McCarthy is now going like, if you do that, watch out, because I'm going to maybe speaker, and then I'll go after you. It's really ugly now. We're not a bad country. We aren't. We're a better country than this. But Donald Trump is the most pernicious. uh, That this happened is crazy. Don't you just look back and go like, really, this happened? Yeah. This guy became president. Uh, well, thank you. I really did. It, it was very engrossed by by dissent. Well, thank you, and it's been a pleasure to be on. And I um, 
look forward to walking and listening to you with other guests in the future. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuel, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the new kids and family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.